Hello, hello, and welcome to Applies Job Bytes. We're a podcast that covers jobs, job searching, the job application process, career growth and development, and almost everything in between. Our show is sponsored by Apply.io, the free browser extension that helps you apply to jobs with a single click and writes really good cover letters for you using AI. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Applies Job Bites. I'm Jean, your host, and with me today is Jeff Altman, also known as the Big Game Hunter. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Look forward to talking to everyone. Well, Jeff, the first thing that I must say is a hearty congratulations, because if I understand, this week has been somewhat of a milestone for you. Has it been 2,000 episodes that you've recorded, your 10-year anniversary? Tomorrow, the day after our recording today, is the 10th anniversary of No BS Job Search Advice Radio, and Monday was episode 2000. And I've been doing a week of shows with lessons learned from 2000 episodes in 10 years uh, of doing the show. Awesome. Well, what a pro- prolific uh, run, and you've obviously been incredibly disciplined and consistent with running your show. Uh, yeah, I'm super curious to know what are what are some of those key lessons that you've learned. There are so many, but I've tried to, to to distill them to a couple of basic points. And number one is who's in charge of your career. Yeah. We all say ourselves, but we don't act that way. Most employees of firms abdicate responsibility for their career to their employer. And the result winds up being they wind up getting stuck in jobs that they loathe, doing work that they stop being interested in, and stop doing the anticipatory planning for their career that's so pivotal to have a a successful long-term career. So number one, you're the, the person responsible for your career. And with that is you're the chairperson of the board of your own organization. That's the mind shift that I try and have uh, people think in terms of. You have a board of directors because it could be your wife, husband, partner, the kids, whomever. But ultimately, collectively, you're a decision maker for your own enterprise instead of letting your boss decide, your manager decide. You know, I think you'd like to, you should be working on this. That's a complete dead end. And people tolerate this all the time. So that's probably the most pivotal lesson. Uh, that I, t- I teach people. Happy to go through some more? Uh, that would be great. My pleasure. Number two is there's a lesson to be learned by how people buy detergent in the store. Now, I've never known of anyone who goes to the store to purchase detergent, picks up two packages of the detergent, and looks at the list of ingredients and goes, Ah, the interrelationship between the chemicals on this detergent is going to make my wash whiter than this one. They buy for any other reason. They make an assumption. This one's good enough. It's the price. It's what their wife, husband, or partner told them. Their parent is always used. Whatever. It's got nothing to do with the quality of the product. Why does this work? Because people purchase a brand. And even if it's you're buying off-the-shelf stuff that doesn't have a brand, that's a brand too. Now, people who purchase brands are willing to pay a premium for the brand. And off-the-shelf stuff, no-name brand, they pay a commodity price. You can be a commodity, you can be a brand. With brands, people come to you more often. And that leads to really an important factor, which I think is individual branding, that people rarely do. 
You know, you mentioned brand to most job hunters, and it's like, I'm not a brand, I'm not a detergent, but you are. <laughs> you are if you play it smart. So, for example, the big game hunter came about as a decision that I made to differentiate myself because I recognized that throughout most of the world, if you said you were a recruiter, a head of talent acquisition for so-and-so, you were like a thousand other people or more. So how do you stand out? In my case, it was a term. In your case, it may be through your talks and other experiences that allow you to differentiate yourself from other people. I have thousands of YouTube videos and 2,000 episodes of the podcast and lots of blog posts that I've done, including now for Forbes.com. People find out about me and they know, like, trust and respect me and thus are able to come to me. Most job hunters do very little to promote themselves apart from their firm. Mm. And, and speaking about brands, Jeff, I mean, what strikes me, I mean, staying on the topic of, of your brand, what struck me when I came across you and your, your profile and your background was just, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very direct message to say, well, I'm providing no BS career advice. And something that I had picked up on relatively early in my own career is that there does seem to be BS advice out there. There seems to be you know, a lot of people with opinions that are just um, sort of poorly formed and aren't based on any real expertise or data. Is, is that what you had also found when you, you had started to build and develop your own brand as kind of a, well, let me establish, let me try to tell you guys how it really should go and you know, try to cut through all the BS out there. I worked in search for more than 40 years before transitioning into coaching full time. And I learned a lot of search professionals lie. <laughs> I'll be that blunt about it. They directly lie. And the result winds up being the job hunters, no matter where in the world you are, find it difficult to trust recruiters with good reason, obviously. So in branding the podcast, uh, No BS Job Search Advice, I understood that people have no idea, at that time I was doing recruiting, they have no idea whether or not to trust the recruiter that they're talking with. And it would give them a sense of how I think and how I approach things so they could trust me if they wanted to. They certainly were not going to hear any lies from me. It was going to be direct advice that would work and people find that's true. What I offer is concrete information to help people throughout the search. So I decided to take the mythology out of the job search process and make it obvious so people will hit themselves in the head and go, oh, that's what I have to do. I haven't been doing that, like preparing for interviews. I don't know what your experience has been like, but a lot of people go on interviews and they wing it and they think and they wonder why they don't get results instead of being a professional and practicing. It is amazing that I've heard from organizations. I mean, there's very large companies out there like, like Amazon. Amazon literally publishes their interviewing playbook. I mean, you can find the, their questions online. There's like kind of a fixed list of questions. Here are the values. They tell you the format as well. And then people don't do the basic groundwork to know that going into the interview. It makes no sense, but it happens. It's bizarre to me. Um, you know, I teach a framework for interviewing that is simple, understandable, and works with a simple assumption that most job descriptions that people read are maybe, if they're lucky, 80% accurate. 
And HR people laugh when I say this to them, and they will respond by saying, if we're lucky, it's 80%. Yet people go into interviews and talk to folks as though, I've got a job description, I know exactly what they're looking for, but they don't. And normally on the typical interview, it's only at the very end when an employer asks, so do you have any questions for us? Tell me about the job. And it's too late to do anything with the information. So I try and teach people a different framework so that they're on the same page with people. And then once they're answering that classic, walk me through your background or tell me about yourself question, they're immediately connecting the dots for the interviewer. And that kind of preparation makes a difference. That and having stories ready and having good questions at the end. But most job hunters don't do that. I think that's one of the, the sort of most insidious or unlikely pitfalls, isn't it? Because everyone thinks, like if you run into someone in the street, you say, tell me about yourself. In a, in a casual context, everyone can say something. But when the pressure's on and you're in an interview and you haven't rehearsed or prepared, suddenly you find most people go on some really long diatribe and they spend 15, 20 minutes, you know, coming out with irrelevant information. And, you know, that, that doesn't do you any justice. That doesn't work. Yeah. And no one listens for very long. You know, in the United States, I describe it as being an ADHD culture. And as such, I tell people, whatever answer you give, it can be no longer than one minute to one minute and 15 seconds. Because after that, they're starting to think about lunch, meeting their wife, husband, or partner after work, the meeting they, they have to go to and how to prepare. And the result winds up being that, you know, you lose attention span. And they start tuning out and you've lost. So again, part of the preparation is getting your information out in a concise, direct way, following either STAR, which is what Amazon's preference is. And I tend to think of that as being the staff level uh, version of answering questions. SOAR, situation objective action result, being manager on above. And then in C-suite, it tends to be problem action result part. But you know, keeping the stories concise, being prepared for interviews is just so important to being effective. And there's definitely a, a disconnect in many cases between people who can interview really well and people who can do the job really well. So I think there's a lot of people that if, if they underprepare or if they, they don't have the self-awareness to recognize they're not really good in interviews, they might actually be really good at the job, but they don't get that far, right? They, they just kind of failed at, at this hurdle. The skills needed to find a job are different than those needed to do the job. <laughs> the skills needed to interview are different than those needed to perform on a job. On and on and on. It's a different skill set on the job hunting side. And most people don't take the time to think it through and treat it as part of their preparation for the performance, let alone ask for advice. And if they do ask for advice, they ask the wrong people for advice. They ask people who are amateurs like them rather than professionals like me, like you, for the coaching necessary to perform at a high level throughout the search. And thus they learn through trial and error. And almost anyone you ask for advice will have some to give with the best intentions. Of course, it's a friend, it's a family, it's a 
loved one. But that advice isn't always helpful, right? It can sometimes be completely, I mean, it could do more harm than good in some cases. It's one amateur talking to another. And I find the worst advice comes from managers. And, and when they interview, they make the mistake of thinking that I've hired before. I know what I look for. It's going to translate. And it doesn't. The result winds up being managers, until they get taught a tough lesson, don't go for advice. Don't look for help and guidance because they think they know better. There's lots of things in, in the job search that people need to, to learn. And there's an inherent bias as well, whether someone knows it or doesn't know it, right? Through your experience and recommendations are going to be crafted through, you know, managers might have a very narrow set of experiences. And so there's an inherent bias in that advice, which might not be applicable to your situation whatsoever. Very true. After all, that manager, that person that you're asking for advice may have very little that relates to your experiences. They have no knowledge of what it's like in your area of the job market, what firms look for. And thus they give you the same generic stuff. Make eye contact, a firm handshake, which works in some cultures and not in others, but that tends to be the U.S. centric version of, of the advice. Um, you know, give them direct answers. Tell them what you don't know. God, there's just so much misinformation that's out there that causes people to fail. In one form or another, whether it smells like it or it doesn't. <laughs> there are lies that... There are lies that people share with one another that unfortunately get passed on. And that's what I try and correct on the podcast. There's been something I've been meaning to ask you, Jeff, with specific respect to personal branding. It, it seems to me that many, I think this is predominantly younger people, feel like they might not yet have the credentials or experience or that sort of specialization yet to really start thinking about what their personal brand is and what do I stand for? What are my keywords? Is it ever too soon to start thinking about your personal brand? And if not, then how should someone, like what does the inception of that process look like? What I tell relatively inexperienced people to do is number one, focus on competence. Number two is focus on relationships. Because through relationships, people will get to know, like, and trust you. And that will help you be, uh, learn how people see you, how they perceive you, what your strengths are. And that should give you the initial foundation to start building the brand. For example, um, you know, you're a one-year person in whatever your field is. There are people that you work for have worked with, you interact with, that give you feedback about how you're perceived. From there, you can learn and they're going to change jobs like you're going to change jobs. There are going to be new people coming in. It's through the relationships and the networks that you start to create from which you'll learn at the early stages of your career what your brand is. From there, you can expand it. You can become more public and visible with your brand. You can write for LinkedIn. You can appear on podcasts. 
You can create for YouTube. You can share, which is often the launch point for many people on social media. Pre-social media days, back in the Stone Ages, I knew a woman who was a commodities broker at one of the large firms, and she would share little articles that she had written, uh, she had read that she thought was interesting, and she would send it to wealthy investors and landed some huge accounts from that because people got to know how she thought and what was interesting to her. For you folks, whatever your area of specialization, you become associated with what you share and start that as the launch point for how people see you. So it sounds to me like almost the worst thing that you could do is just not start. You kind of have got to want to do it and you've got to just get the ball rolling with something as simple as sharing content. I'll go one thing further. The worst thing is to be invisible. If you're invisible in our culture these days, you're nothing. You're not even that detergent that has no brand name on the shelf. You're invisible. You're not on the shelf. You're not even on the shelf. Good point. So you always want to be on the shelf where people can see you. We live in a star culture. And you have to develop your star qualities. So it's the most important thing over the course of a career is to build a brand and a network of relationships where people will think of you in the context of situations that they need to have handled. And you become the, the resource for them, the person that they can go to for a solution. And that's how you stand out and that's how you, you succeed. You got to deliver too. So I don't want to neglect that part about it. It's important to have the competence to back it up. But remember when firms hire, competence is only one variable they look for. Self-confidence, character, chemistry, maybe a little bit of charisma because charismatic people always do better than non-charismatics. It's not a requirement. It's a preference. It all adds up to, we trust him. We trust her. Like I'm working with someone now who's up for a C-level position with a U.S.-based firm and you know, his nerves were coming out before he started to meet the members of the board. And I just pointed out the focus isn't on what you do. The focus is on, can we trust him to do this? Trust is the, mo is the missing ingredient for so many job hunters. They focus on delivering the skill, but not the connection with the person, the results in them trusting. And that trust, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, this is going to be a major cliffhanger to end the show on because I would love to speak with you about trust and how you build it and all the other topics that we've covered as well. I feel like what we've done today, Jeff, is really tease our listeners with all the bits of knowledge and experience that you've picked up. Of course, if, if any of our listeners want to reach Jeff Altman, we'll be linking your website, Jeff, um, and details about you in the podcast details, and you know they'll be most welcome to reach out to you. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Glad to be of service and uh, great spending time with you. Likewise, and congratulations again, sir. Thank you. And my dad was sir. Please call me Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. Sounds great. Thanks again and stay in touch. Of course. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the show. For any feedback, requests, or suggestions of things that we should include on upcoming shows, please drop us a line at contact at apply.io. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time.